welcome to the first episode of the 2024 Planning Congress podcast. In partnership with the Planning Institute of Australia, Urban Talk is hosting a special podcast series in the lead up to the 2024 National Planning Congress, which is taking place in Melbourne between May 22 and May 24. The theme for the Congress is reinvention, planning in a time of change. Over eight episodes, we will bring you interviews with key local and international speakers. We'll cover a range of topics addressing housing and urban change, resilience and climate action, planning tech and planning with country. My name is Belinda Barnett and I'm the host of the podcast. For this first episode, I'm delighted to welcome the CEO of the Planning Institute of Australia, Matt Collins. Welcome, Matt. Hi, Belinda. Today with Matt, we're going to deep dive into the Planning Institute and understand a little bit about Matt's vision for the Institute. And then we're going to turn and and examine what's going to be happening at Congress 2024. Matt, you've been at the reins of PIA now for around six months. I think you took up the position in April of this year. I've noticed that under your lead, there's been a new assertiveness about how PIA is talking about planning issues and urban growth in the public arena. And I think that's it's really great that is coming through. Certainly, the Institute feels like it's taking on a more proactive stance. Before we discuss a little bit more about Congress, I think it would be really great for you to share with listeners to give them an introduction to your career and what has led you to wanting to be CEO of PIA. Thanks, Belinda, and really pleased to, to field that question and really great to hear that you've noticed PIA stepping up more into the public conversation. In terms of me, though, I'm a planner myself, um, although I came to planning as a, as a second career. Uh, I originally started off uh, with a degree in public policy and communications, and as a result of that, I came to be working at Brisbane City Council. Uh, and during my time working for that local government, I really got to see the important work it was doing uh, in planning. And by extension, I ultimately fell in love with planning. Um, so I eventually went back to studies, completed a master's in urban and regional planning. And from there, I worked in the state government. I worked in consulting, doing DAs as well. At one stage, I was working for the Deputy Premier of Queensland in a planning role. And then before Pia was leading the team in the Queensland government that was working on the Southeast Queensland city deal. That was a really big project, was really all-consuming. The deal that was ultimately done uh, soon after I left was worth about $1.8 billion. So it was a massive undertaking. It was also really exhausting and challenging work. So having uh, having spent a few years working for a deputy premier and then uh, two and a half years on the city deal project, for me, it was really time for a change. And coincidentally, Pia was looking for a new state manager at the time uh, to lead the Queensland and Northern Territory divisions. And so I put my hand up for the job, uh, being a planner with a lot of public policy background, was lucky enough to get the job. And then three years later, I was honoured to become ultimately the national CEO. It's a job I love. I think Pia is a really important organisation for planners and also a really important organisation for good planning as well. So really loved taking on this role and really excited about what the next few years might mean. That's fantastic. I and mean, it's great that you, um, it's like you've had a really interesting career and it's great that you have actually gone into all of the facets or a lot of the facets of where planners do find themselves. Um, so it gives you a really great holistic vision, I guess, about the issues that are facing planners um, and also, I guess, in policy formulation as well. Let's talk a little bit about Pia's role in Australia. We've seen associations, well, we see associations such as the Property Council of Australia, the Urban Task Force, the Urban Development Institute of Australia, really talking quite actively and advocating for development and urban growth in the media. 
in your role as CEO, what role do you think PIA should ultimately play in Australia's urban growth and development? Oh, look, I think PIA's got a really important role to play here, Belinda. I think we need to step up and play that role as well. And we think that's in the nation's interest that organisations like PIA are doing that. For starters, we've got a long-term vision for the Institute. Our strategy and our ambition is to be Australia's trusted voice in plating. And my pitch when I went for the CEO job actually was to uh, really use my skills and background to try and strengthen PIA's advocacy work. And right now we're working on an advocacy strategy, which is really all about the things we need to do as the professional institute for planners and planning to be more effective and more impactful uh, on public policy. Of course, we only do a lot. Uh, last financial year, we made about 70, 74 submissions to governments right around Australia. So yeah, a lot of submissions being made right now. And I think, therefore, we're really well placed to be a more influential voice. Unlike many of the groups you mentioned just then that are operating in the space that we work in around the built environment, around good planning, around urban development and, and our cities. One of the things I think that differentiates PR from many of them is that we speak up for good planning in the public interest, not the sectoral interest, not the vested interest, uh, the public interest. And I think that's being increasingly recognised, which is really encouraging. Earlier this year, um, I was really pleased to be appointed by the Federal Minister for Infrastructure to their new National Urban Policy Forum, which is the expert committee helping to shape the new national urban policy. I think it's really important that organisations like PIA have a seat at the table for things like that, because it means we get to help shape those policy settings. Yeah. And it's really great. It sort of leads me, I guess, into my next question, because I was curious to know how actively um, state and federal governments that are involved in urban growth and policy formulation are actually reaching out to the Institute to become involved and to sit on various committees and share your views. Absolutely. That's already happening a lot. Our job is to make it happen more, I think. Um, but for example, staff and volunteers in the last financial year had 154 meetings with elected officials and senior government officials about planning policy. So, so right now we've well and truly got a seat at the table. Um, obviously, I just mentioned my involvement in the National Urban Policy Forum, but there's scores of other examples like that right around the country where peers engaging with government in policy development or policy review. But as you also mentioned, it's a pretty crowded policy space. There's lots of voices. They're all clamoring to influence policy and not, not always to make policy better. Um, so our opportunity, I think at this moment, is to ensure that we're being as effective as we can be using our voice to speak up for good planning in the public interest. So our ambition really is to get to a point where we're not just involved in shaping policy, which we are today, but much more of a trusted advisor to government where we are really able to make policy change happen. There's examples of this already. For example, in Queensland, we really champion changes in planning to try to support more gentle density, and those changes are now happening. So we want to get more successes like that, where we're not just at the table, but we're really having the changes we want to see happen happen. It's interesting because certainly I know in New South Wales and also in Victoria and most probably also in, in Queensland, you know, housing supply policy is at the forefront. Social housing delivery, affordable housing delivery, really important and big issues. There seems to be, I guess, my take on it, certainly in New South Wales, a lot of the policy that is now being drip fed out into communities through the media. It's, it's very difficult to understand, I guess, what level of stakeholder engagement has been occurring behind the scenes by the Department of Planning here and 
the same in, in Victoria. Has PIA been involved behind the scenes, say, in New South Wales with the formulation of housing policy? Look, I think we're always involved right around the country in different ways and at different times. So sometimes we're very involved in some of the new policy settings. Sometimes we're not as involved as we'd like. And unfortunately, sometimes where we're involved, we don't always get our way either. So our goal, our goal is to get to a point where we're getting our way more than we're not and to make sure we're being as impactful as we can. But there's a lot of voices, as we've talked about, that um, sometimes want to drag us in the wrong direction. And I think too often they're successful. And so I think our, our opportunity, uh, particularly using things like planning uh, and climate, we're, like housing, sorry, and climate, our opportunity is to really make sure planning has a seat at the table because we've got a great role to play. But we need to be also clear about what we can and can't do. Too often in the housing debates, I think it's very easy to default and say, well, planning's red tape. That's rubbish. Um, if we if we want to get people to say yes to be YIMBYs, um, that's got to be driven by good planning because people are not going to say yes to housing change if it's not matched with infrastructure investments in social infrastructure and community infrastructure. If it's not matched by public transport investment, if it's not matched by the kind of improvements to a community that uh, the residents want to see. So planning is fundamentally important for housing, but it's not in the way that policymakers always think, which is really just roll it back. Actually, what we need is to make sure we're delivering good planning, and that's actually going to enable housing in the long term. Absolutely agree. And I guess planning is intrinsically political. The regulatory system under which we operate is created and enforced by essentially the three levels of government. Given the politics of planning, picking up your point, PIA is uniquely positioned to be an informed and, as you said, independent voice for our profession. Is It's very, very important for PIA to be getting its position out there into these different conversations. And it's really great to to see that that is occurring. And as I said, I've really noticed since you taking up position that the work that's coming out of the Institute is a lot more proactive. And I think maybe your communications background has a little bit uh, in those early days has something to do with that. Yeah. And look, I do think how we communicate and talk about planning is a really important issue for us to take up. One of the projects that we've got underway at the moment, which is in its early days, is a project we've called The Value of Planning. So we're actually doing a research piece behind the scenes at the moment, which is actually all about understanding how do we better communicate the value of planning, particularly to decision makers. So I think as planners, we are technical professionals, but inevitably with any technical profession, we often talk in technical ways. So one of the things that we're trying to unpack through a series of qualitative uh, research pieces is to actually understand how we can talk in a way that resonates with the people we want to influence and the people we want to value planning more. And in the first instance, that's really about senior public servants and politicians. And a future wave is all about the community more broadly. But we're starting in a targeted way to say, well, how do we get the people who are making the decisions in many respects about our cities, our suburbs, our planning systems to value planning more? And so we want to figure out, are we talking about planning the right way? Are we explaining what we do as planners in the most effective way possible. I don't know the answer to that yet, but I do think how we communicate about planning is important and we need to make sure that decision makers are valuing the really important work planners do in shaping the future of places and the nation. So that's a great body of research. It'll be really interesting to read the findings of that when that when it's finished, I think. And hopefully it'll go some way towards ensuring that we can get to a policy position that isn't so short-term, which gets changed every time we have a change in a politician's that withstands political terms, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, let's turn to talk about Congress 2024. Congress is such a great time for planners. It's 
most probably the largest and the most significant gathering of planners that ever come together in one place in, in Australia, which is sometimes a bit frightening to think about. <laughs> um, and, but it's also great because it attracts a lot of related design and development professionals too. Planners go into so many different types of organisations. And so Congress is really interesting from that point of view as well. And I think, I don't know, from what the, your team was telling me, you know, you're anticipating well over 700 delegates to come along this year, which is fabulous. So the theme for the 2024 National Congress is reinvention, planning in a time of change. Can you tell me a little bit about why Pierce selected this theme for the National Congress? Absolutely. Look, it's always hard to pick a conference theme. You want to make sure it's timely, that it's relevant, that it's meaningful. And I think it's often hard too in a profession as broad as planning as you just touched upon. For me, I think the idea of reinvention, planning in a time of change really ticks those boxes of being timely, relevant, and meaningful. And for us, it's also an important way to explore some really important themes. So for starters, our profession, as we know, is operating in a moment of really huge change. Mega trends like climate change and demographic shifts, aging populations, the digital revolution, and the housing crisis that is global in nature are all fundamentally reshaping communities. And as planners, we are on the front line of managing and planning for for those changes. So for starters, there's a really external environment aspect to this idea of planning in a time of change. But reinvention doesn't just speak to the change our communities are experiencing. There's also a dimension here too, I think, about the practice of planning. And those huge changes in that external environment that we are practicing planning in means that the way we do planning is changing as well. I mean, how we plan today is different to how we planned even a decade ago. And I'm sure that how we plan in another 10 years is going to be very different again. So for us, what we want this Congress to do is to not just help the profession to better understand that external environment that we're operating in, the way that those mega trends are shaping what we do, but to also reflect on how our practice as planners might need to change in the future too. So to kind of give you a tangible example of that, an area of focus within PIA that I'm really proud of is our work around planning with country. The idea here is that planners as a profession are uniquely placed to recognise and respect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's approaches to land use planning and management. Why? Because country is so integral to their law and custom. And as planners, we work on country, we make decisions about country every single day, right? But for too long, this just hasn't been part of how we think about what we do. And now the profession's changing to better address this really important part of our work. So that's why one of the four sub-themes at Congress this year is going to be first stories first. So we're going to use that sub-theme to really elevate First Nations voices into the planning conversation. And we've got a few other sub-themes too, with a moment of change, doing it differently, and imagining our future. And these are all about exploring those mega trends, but also really diving into some of the practical things that are underway right now to meet the moment and plan well for the future. Fantastic. I do love the theme. I think it's a really great theme. You know, that's, as you've said, that's sort of what we, we do. We manage change. We manage growth. I remember like way back when I was studying planning and friends would say to me, why are you doing town planning? You know, all our cities are built. All our towns are built. There was very much that thinking that planning, is, you know, it's static, but it's, but it's not as we know. So I think it's an absolutely great, great theme. 
The last time the um, Congress was in Melbourne, it was in 2015, which is a while ago. Melbourne is a great city for Congress. It has enormous architectural wealth. It's got a great arts culture and to top it all off, it's foodie heaven. What can planners expect from attending the Planning Congress in Melbourne in 2024? Absolutely. Look, it's great to be back in Melbourne. We're really excited about the program that's starting to come together. And you're, you're right, Melbourne is such a great place to bring planners together. I think what delegates can expect is a Congress that's going to be inspiring. It's going to be challenging because we're really going to explore some big issues that are facing us as a country and as a profession. Housing, climate action, planning with country, as I said, digitalization, plan tech, resilience and well-being for planners, as well as innovation in planning practice. So these are all focus areas that we want to have discussions about. We're in the final stages of confirming some of our keynote speakers. I'm really excited about some of the, the big thinkers we've got getting ready to say to, to be unveiled, but you'll have to stay tuned for that one. On the Wednesday of Congress, we always run our study tours, and that's one of my favorite parts of Congress because it's one of those really tangible opportunities to get out on the ground, see great planning in practice and how it makes a difference to people's lives. And this time around, our study tours are going to be showcasing not just Melbourne, but also some of the really exciting things going on right across Victoria as well. So for example, people can expect to see study tours that, that head to Geelong and the Bellarine Peninsula where you'll be able to learn about everything from streetscape improvements to, to wineries. Oh, excellent. Um, <laughs> you'll be, uh, we'll, we'll be exploring Ballarat and some of the surrounding communities there as well. And that's one's going to look at everything from wind and solar farms and the energy transition right the way through to the innovative Nightingale housing model. We're going to head to Melbourne's western suburbs where we can see urban renewal in Footscray and also think about peri-urban planning and market gardens. And look, it wouldn't be Melbourne if you didn't do a study tour that looked at major events and sporting precincts, as well as the CBD itself. Really, given that planning history from the Hoddle Grid to the rejuvenation of the laneways. So it's a really exciting study tours um, starting to shape up as well. We've got a great group of members on our Congress committee who are helping pull things together. Some great sponsors like the Victorian State Government and Urbis, a bunch of other amazing sponsors too. Congress couldn't happen without them. So of course, if you don't indulge me, Belinda, there's always room for more. So if anybody listening wants to partner with PF at Congress, just give us a call. I could not say that. Like I can say we have. We've partnered with Pia. We're operating the uh, Barista Cart. And we're very happy to have you. And you've picked always the most competitive sponsorship packages because planners love their coffees and are always lined up at that Barista Cart. Exactly right. That's what we thought. <laughs> and there's always great social events as well at, at Congress too. So it's not all about doing work. I think one of the great things is it's about networking as well and meeting like-minded professionals. So I think you've got the national awards happening one night. We do. We do. We have the National Awards, uh, which is always a huge opportunity to spotlight some of the really great work happening right across the country. We've just come out of the state awards season where we were able to recognise so many projects. And just looking at that winners list, it's really inspiring to see the great uh, planning happening right around the country. All of those state award winners are now heading into the national judging process. And uh, and at Congress in May, we'll, uh, we'll find out who the winners are. But yeah, it's always great to see who is doing some really inspirational planning work. And for the young planners out there as well, they have some of their own events, don't they? They do. The young planners are always out in force. I suspect in Melbourne, we'll have a particularly strong contingent of young planners. And the young planners, from my experience, are always hungry to learn and pick up some of those formal parts of Congress, but are also 
very keen to let their hair down too and do the networking, attend the social events as well. So it's great to have the young players involved. Yeah, it is. As it's your first Congress and you're at the helm of PIA, what are you most excited about? Oh, look, that's that's a tough question because I think the answer is everything when it comes to Congress. I mean, for me though, what I really love about Congress is probably what we've just touched on, which is that connection and community because it is such a great opportunity for our profession to come together and catch up. It's really the only thing like it in the nation. We'll have 700 plus planners from right across the country learning from each other, talking to each other, but also having a ton of fun. And I think you just can't replace that sense of community and what it does to build community right across the profession. We're not a huge profession, planners, but we are pretty tight knit too. So it's great to bring that community together and help continue to build the community for the future. Just touching on that, how, how many planners are there? Do you estimate it to be in the profession, even if it's based on peer membership? So we've just released a really interesting report called the State of Profession Report. Uh, it's available on our website. And what we did as part of that work was to do a couple of research pieces. We interrogated the census, which has actually given us a really good bunch of insights into who planners are, how many there are, what they look like, what they do. Uh, we also accompanied that with a big survey of our own to better understand the profession. And so what I can tell you is that there are 13,691 planners in the country. That's an increase of 82% in the number of planners since 2006. So we're a pretty fast-growing profession. Yeah, fantastic. And despite all of that, of course, we've still got a planner shortage, but that's a whole other story. And so there's some really interesting data in that state of profession report. Google it, grab it from our website if people want to have a read of it, because it's really interesting. Some some super interesting trends too. As you'd expect, we're becoming more feminized, which is great, more women planners. But it also tells us we've got a lot of work to do in some other fields. So it tells us there's just 0.7% of planners identify as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. And yet the work we do is so fundamentally connected to country, as we've talked about already. So for us, it's prompted a question, well, how do we get more Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to choose planning as a career choice? So really useful uh, learnings out of this report. So a uh, ton of data. Probably the other interesting piece of data that we've really used a lot lately when we've been talking with government about the shortage of planners and how we can try and address that is, is this one. There are 232 local government areas in Australia, where there are no planners working at all. So 43% of local government areas. And that's just incredible, considering that the role of planners in place and community and development and just so many places where planners aren't at all. So really big issues for us. And it's one of the key focuses we've got to uh, do a weekend to build and elevate planning as a career choice. And a great piece of research also for tertiary education planning. Absolutely. And just trying to bring online more university degrees or other types of degrees. Fantastic. I will. I will definitely take a look at that. That will be fascinating. Well, Matt, I've really enjoyed talking with you today. Um, thank you for sharing your vision for PIA and hearing about Congress 2024. I'm certainly going to be there. Not, maybe not behind our barista cup, but I'm certainly going to be there. The lead up to Congress will be frantic for you and your team. Um, you have a great team, as you said, working behind the scenes, pulling it all together. For listeners, if you haven't already registered, and you may not because it is early days, don't miss the opportunity to take advantage of early bird specials. I think they go through to February 2024. To find out more, I encourage you to go to the events page of the PIA website where it's all set up and you can easily learn about Congress. And as Matt said, over the 
the coming months, we should hear more about the program and who the speakers are. I think abstracts for the Congress closed on the 30th of November and the team at PIA is working behind the scenes to work out who, the, who our wonderful speakers are going to be. If you've got any questions, please email congress at planning.org.au. My name is Belinda Barnett and thank you for listening to the Urban Talk 2024 Planning Congress podcast. Yeah.